0: Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm your host, Evan Gottesman, and I'm joined at this momentous time in Israeli politics in Tel Aviv by a renowned Israeli political analyst. You may have read him in Haaretz, the JTA, and for our listeners in Iraq, you might have seen him on I-24 Arabic. We're joined
1: by Eli Koaz. Also in Tel Aviv.
0: This is the closest we've been together recording a podcast yeah, you're, in a while. You're actually, not,
1: touching my knee. If you th-
0: yeah, okay. That that's uh, information that you maybe didn't expect to get coming into this podcast. Now you know. But this is a really big moment in Israeli politics and the future of Benjamin Netanyahu's career. And we know that you're all waiting to hear about the indictments. But first, I think we need to talk about the other big political news from the week.
1: Yesterday, Benny Gantz, his time expired to form a coalition. He had 28 days. To meet with all of the relevant uh, party heads, the negotiating teams met, but to no avail. He was unable to form a coalition and he gave an address last night. He said that he turned every stone and really did his best, but he was unable to do so, putting the blame squarely on Benjamin Netanyahu for putting himself uh, before the country and for not willing to let go of his block of 55. Seats, including the Likud party, his own party, and the far right-wing parties and the ultra-Orthodox parties, still trying to obviously secure legal immunity.
0: Right. And also Netanyahu had wanted to go first in a rotation for prime minister if there were a unity government. And I think that Benny Gantz deserves a little bit of credit for rightly interpreting that as a trap. And he's stuck to his commitments that he made in the campaign, or at least he's stuck to them so far. We don't know what could happen in the future. And he is still not going to let Netanyahu go first in rotation. He's not sitting with a prime minister who's facing indictments. And now he really is facing indictments, and we'll get to that soon. And, of course, you have these two options that either he could convince Netanyahu or the rest of the Likud to somehow create a formulation where Netanyahu wouldn't be prime minister, or wouldn't go first in rotation to let the legal process take its course. Or there had also been a little talk, and this was always a bit far-fetched, um. Also, there had been a little bit of talk, and it had always been a bit far fetched that you would have a minority government with the left wing parties Kacholavan, Yisrael Beitenu, which is the right wing party of, Avig- of Avigdor Lieberman, supported from the outside by the Joint List of predominantly Arab parties. But Lieberman also stuck to his commitments. He hardened his heart. He swallowed his tears, and he said that he's not going to sit with the Haridim, but he's also not going to be in a government that's backed by the Arab parties. And of course, inciting against Arab politicians and and really using this kind of vitriolic rhetoric towards Arab politicians has been a mainstay of Lieberman's program for much of his time in politics. And I don't think there really was ever a reason to expect that to change. And so far it hasn't. And yesterday at the moment where it would have mattered, it didn't. So that option was taken off the table by Lieberman saying that he would not sit in a religious government led by Netanyahu, and he wouldn't sit in a narrow government propped up by the joint list if it were led by Gantz. So that option was taken off. But the breakdown of Gantz's opportunity to form the government leads into these 21 days that are kind of a free for all of any member of Knesset can try to form a government. But the dynamic of those 21 days is now really changed by development that's only happened in the last couple of minutes.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um and that's something that we have been waiting for for a while. It is the Israel's Attorney General Avichai Mandelblit who is uh in the next few minutes he is going to address the press at his office in the Justice Ministry in Jerusalem, but we now know that Netanyahu will be charged with fraud and breach of trust in cases 1000 and 2000 and for bribery fraud, and breach of trust in case 4,000. Now, Evan, do you want to remind our listeners uh, what each case is?
0: Yeah. So I think that it's good for us to go over these three different cases that Netanyahu is involved in. He's involved in others, but these are the ones that he's facing indictments in. So that first one, Case 1000, that you mentioned, Eli, in which he's facing charges of fraud and breach of trust, that involves um, accepting gifts from Hollywood mogul Arnon Milchan in exchange for political favors that were favorable to Milchan's interests. Then we have Case 2000, where he's also facing charges of fraud and breach of trust. And this is the Noni Moses case, the case in which uh, Yediot Ahronot, the uh, major Israeli newspaper, their publisher, Arnon Moses, and Netanyahu made a deal or attempted to come to a deal in which Netanyahu would forward or advance legislation that would damage the other major newspaper, Yisrael Hayom, which is owned by Sheldon Adelson, in exchange for favorable coverage from Yediot Akronot. So that would benefit Yediot Akronot and their interests because it would be basically shutting down or, or damaging a competitor. And then the last one, you have Case 4000, and this is the one where Netanyahu faces these indictments and fraud and breach of trust, but there's also the bribery indictment, which is a big deal. And that is the Bezek case. Shalil Elovich, the owner of Bezek, big telecom company in Israel, Netanyahu was giving him essentially political favors in exchange for favorable coverage on Bezek's uh, Walla News website. So this is the last of those three cases that he's facing indictments in and and this could really change up the dynamic within the coalition negotiations in the 21 days and in Netanyahu's on Likud party
1: it definitely could i mean it's either the the worst start to a uh, election campaign i've ever seen for Benjamin Netanyahu or maybe it's a lifeline for a coalition to be formed by some other candidate for prime minister or maybe a candidate that has already tried to form a coalition and you mentioned uh, rightly so, case four thousand as the most prominent and important case because that bribery charge is something that's really unprecedented for a sitting Israeli prime minister that carries a maximum sentence of ten years in prison. A lot of people thought that Netanyahu may be able to handle the fraud and breach of trust charges. So the fact that he's being charged uh, for bribery bribery on case four thousand is. Very significant, and that may be what leads to Netanyahu's end. Now, I'm not going to rush to say Netanyahu's end because we know that Netanyahu is a very crafty and talented politician, and uh, no doubt that he will try to pursue immunity, whether it is through the Knesset or through new elections that will lead to immunity, but I don't think Netanyahu has said his last word.
0: Right. Netanyahu can request immunity uh, from a committee in the Knesset, and I believe that he has almost a full month to request this immunity. And a lot can happen in that time period. And I think the more time that you give someone like Netanyahu, the more time he has to maneuver. So I think for all of those waiting for the end of Netanyahu's political career, we are absolutely closer to it than we have been at any other point before. But to put a hard date on it or to say that it's going to happen now just because of this, I think it's difficult to say.
1: And what's interesting about that, though, what you mentioned is that he does need the approval of a committee for immunity. And right now that committee is controlled by Cajol Lavan because they were, uh, Benny Gantz, was tasked with forming a coalition. So in order for that committee to even take place, it would need to happen after a, another election or once a government is formed. So again, that puts Netanyahu in a tough place. And if we're talking about third elections... That pesa committee will only be formed in roughly mid mid May.
0: Right, but I'm I'm just even saying, even if the request is denied, he could take the maximum allotted time to submit his request to just play for time. Because I think Netanyahu, you're talking about mid May. I don't think Netanyahu is thinking in terms of months and years. I think he's talking about days and weeks, and he's really just doing things, uh, just playing for time. And with any amount of time that you give him, I think that'll allow him to sort of play with his options. But I think that there's another element that's closing in on him. We've talked about the legal proceedings and we've talked about what's going to happen with his immunity and with the indictments, but there's also the political element. Up until now, Netanyahu has been able to make the case to his party, to other Likudniks, that the charges were trumped up, no pun intended, and and that they're you know, that, that nothing's going to come of it. And even though it seemed like that wasn't the case, he could at least play with that because until there was an indictment, there wasn't an indictment. And now there is. And I think that the murmurings of a revolt within the Likud party are going to get louder. I mean, already we've heard from Gidon Tsar, who's one of Netanyahu's main rivals in the Likud party, uh, that he would want to see primaries before a third election, if there's a third election, because he said explicitly that he thinks that he would be able to form a government in a situation where Netanyahu has been unable to do so. So that represents a direct challenge, really more direct challenge to Netanyahu than I think we've seen before from other members of Likud. And up until now, Saar has sort of been passive aggressive in the way that he's pursued this.
1: Yeah. And I guess the question with Saar is, Will he uh, wait and will he try to make a move uh, during this time where any Knesset member can try to amass uh, signatures and be given uh, the chance to form a coalition? Or um, what's, what's more likely is that he, he waits out for, for third elections to be called and then says, Netanyahu, I'm ready to challenge you in primaries in the Likud party. And then Netanyahu, with the indictments already there, he'll have a tough time. And Gideon Tsar will obviously be able to make a case that he, the Netanyahu has failed twice, taken Israel to two elections and not been able to form a government, and it's time for a new leadership. And I think he would have a chance. I think there are still, there's a lot of loyalty to Netanyahu. And we even saw that today after Gideon Tsar made uh, remarks about running against Netanyahu at the Jerusalem Post diplomacy conference. But we'll have to see how that that plays out.
0: Right. But I, what I think is really critical here is that Sar is talking about this out in the open, whereas before he had made comments that would suggest that he was interested in challenging Netanyahu. And it's widely known that he's a rival of Netanyahu's from within the party. But this is the first time that he's putting it out in the open, a challenge to Netanyahu. And like you said, Eli, it's going to be very hard for the prime minister to reject this opportunity to have primaries after he's not only failed to form a government after April, he's failed to form a government after the September elections. And now we're entering this 21 day period, which is unprecedented in Israeli political history. And now that he's going to fail, very likely in this 21 day period, that's three opportunities essentially that he's missed. And he can't make the case then that third time is the charm.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I'll just mention one additional point is that during this period of time, it becomes harder to form a coalition because you need to get those 61 signatures before you getting the shot of forming coalition. Whereas with Gantz and with Netanyahu, they both only needed a, a simple majority. They needed to have to mo- ha- have more fors than against votes in order to put a coalition together. So, uh, third election is looking more likely than ever. And Evan's very excited to get, uh, our 120 project uh, back on the air. Yes,
0: I, I've instructed uh, uh, all of our colleagues to start hashtagging their tweets, 120 project, whether or not it has to do with Israeli elections, just to be on the safe side, because we don't want to you know, get left behind in the rush to cover the third election. But I want to make sure that you, our listeners, know that if there is a third election, uh, that you will be able to access all of the resources that you've come to know and love from the 120 project and we'll have something set up for you. I want to know your take, Eli. When do we stop numbering these elections relative to the April 2019 election? How far apart do they have to be for us to not call it the fourth and fifth and, and sixth election. Certainly, there are, are threats to democracy in Israel as there are across the Western world. But assuming that Israel continues to hold democratic elections, you know, you could we could be talking about the thirtieth election in in another century. So when are we going to stop numbering these relative to April?
1: Listen, Evan, I hate to break it to you, but I think until a uh, coalition is fo- is formed, we're going to continue counting and counting. So I think this will be number three, and if If uh, everything fails again, we'll go on to number four, and so on and so forth. And all the numbers after that. Both of us, we we love elections. I mean, I love the polls. You love the polls. Um, But you know what? I'm going to say this, and I can't believe I'm saying it. I'm actually sick of seeing the polls, and I can't even bear seeing three more months of polls.
0: That's big news. You know, this is the first place that you're hearing that Eli Coas is sick of seeing the polls.
1: And I mean, to tell you the truth... Yes, Netanyahu is in a a very touchy legal uh, position, but if we have elections in a few months, I don't know if the results will be that much different.
0: Right. I think it's a question of why people vote for Likud, because I think that there are people who vote for Likud for three different reasons. I think that you have people who are ideological, and this might be the more religious sector people who care about the land of Israel. I think that there are people who are conservative on security and and, and it's not an ideological thing. It's not that they're unwilling to part with areas of, of the land of Israel. It's just that they don't see a partner for peace and and they see Likud as managing a Netanyahu, but managing Israel's security situation in a safe way and that they're handling things okay. And frankly, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And then the third element I think is the BB crowd, the people who are really loyal to Netanyahu. And I think that the question that we'll have to see pan out in this next election is how big is the BB crowd? How big are the people who are voting for Likud as a matter of brand loyalty? And loyalty to Netanyahu, and I think that we saw that there's a fairly significant number who weren't because Kacholavan in many ways, is uh, bringing in people who might have otherwise voted for Likud or a center-right or right-wing party, but just can't stand Netanyahu. But also that there's a significant number of people who have stuck with Netanyahu and have stuck with Likud. They're still in the 30s in terms of numbers of seats. So we'll have to see what happens in March. It would be in March if there's a third election. So.
1: That's right, and we we did we saw that fatigue uh, in the difference between uh, among the BB faithful or among Likud voters uh, from the April elections to the September elections, where about there was a I mean it wasn't that Likud voters necessarily moved to other parties, it was that just less Likud voters uh, showed up about eight percent. Less is what uh, I've seen on numerous reports about voting, uh, voter differences from the April to the September elections. So we'll need to follow that closely. Anything else? I think that about
0: covers it at this stage. I want to encourage all of our listeners to keep following this, though, because things are really in flux with the announcement of the indictments. This introduces a new element into the into the situation. And we don't know what's going to happen. It could really shake things up or it could steer things the same way. And we don't know. We haven't had a way of knowing what would happen until now. So keep an eye out on that. I also want to encourage everyone to join our upcoming video briefing next week on Tuesday, November 26th. I will be interviewing the leader of the joint list, Ayman Oda. It's a program that we're co-sponsoring with the Interagency Task Force for Israeli-Arab Issues. And, you know, if you've been following the Israeli political scene, then you know that Ayman Oda is a big is a big figure there and a really central and rising player in the Israeli political scene and in the uh, Israeli Arab community. And also that the other news story from this week that we just haven't had the opportunity to discuss on this program yet is Netanyahu's really vicious incitement against the Israeli Arab community and Israeli Arab politicians saying that a government backed by the Israeli Arab parties would be akin to a terrorist attack, which is, of course, an awful thing to say. So, you know, Ayman Oda is really upfront leading on those issues. And it'll be good to hear from him. And you can register for that program at ipf.li forward slash ODEH 1126. And that's going to be again on November 26, this coming Tuesday at 1230 Eastern 930am Pacific. And I also want to thank everyone who listened to the program and attended our annual event last week with Yair Golan. That was a big showing and really successful event. So we're and happy that honorees, some of you and our honorees, and our honorees uh, you know, it was great to have such a big crowd for them. So we're really happy with that.
1: Evan, I'm, I'm sad to see you go. It's not it's not every day that you uh, hop over the pond to Tel Aviv in such an exciting week. It's going to be it's going to be hard to say goodbye
0: it's always hard to say goodbye. This was a short trip in Israel, but an exciting time to be in but Israel. I, but
1: I, I trust that you'll come back uh, for third elections. So.
0: I, I will I will be back at some point. I, I don't want to say whether it'll be for third elections or fourth, or fourth, or fourth elections. Elections. Fifth elections. Maybe the 17th election. the 7th election, election will be a good election. All right. I can, I'm going to make a, a promise right now that I will be here for the 7th election.
1: Okay. Well, I look forward to seeing you and to recording some podcasts during the 7th election campaign.
0: And you most certainly can expect to see me there. And if you enjoy this podcast, then it would really help us to continue producing programs like this for the 3rd through 4th through 7th elections to rate and review this program wherever you're listening to podcasts. If you have something nice to say, if you don't have something nice to say, as the old saying goes keep it to yourself or you can send that feedback nice or otherwise to our email podcast at ipforum.org and we really appreciate your listenership and support of the program and we'll catch you next week yalla bye